0: Welcome to See Here Speak Podcast episode 42. This is a bonus episode in which I talk to my collaborator, Rosanna Komosedu, about implementation science. If you've ever wondered what is implementation science, then this is a great short episode for you to learn a bit about it. In full disclosure, this episode was created to provide basic content to prepare attendees who have enrolled in a two-day virtual conference we are sponsoring at the end of April. And this conference is focused on implementation science and communication sciences and disorders. However, the content is accessible for those in many fields. After listening, if you're interested in attending, registration is open until Monday, April 18th at info.mghihp.edu backslash is all which I'll link in the show notes and on the podcast website. After April 18th, the content tent will be available to view for a reduced price. A big shout out to the conference committee, you know who you are, for thoughtfully planning a conference that actively engages participants online, which is no small feat in the age of the pandemic-induced Zoom fatigue. Speaking of the pandemic, Rosanna and I recorded in person, which was a real treat. However, you may be able to hear our mask crinkling a bit as we talk. After listening to this episode, don't forget to check out the website, www.seahearspeakpodcast.com to sign up for email alerts for new episodes and content, read a transcript of this podcast, access articles and resources that we discussed, and find more information about the guests. (music) Welcome to See Her Speak podcast, and I'm going to start by having Rosana Comosedu introduce herself. Hi, my name
1: is Rosana Comosedu, and I am a researcher and lecturer at MGH Institute of Health Profession, working with Tiffany at the Cell Literacy Lab. Uh, my work uh, focuses on implementation science and trying to bring implementation science into schools to improve service delivery and
0: outcomes for children with communication disorders. So today we're gonna talk about implementation science. So what is implementation science?
1: Implementation science is formally defined as the scientific study of methods to promote the systematic uptake of research findings and other evidence-based practices into routine practice to improve the quality and effectiveness of health services. In other words, implementation science studies how we can improve the implementation of evidence-based practices to maximize outcomes in the populations that we serve. And in our case, people with communication disorders. But to do that, we have to first understand what are the needs in a setting, whether evidence-based practices exist to address those needs. If they do exist, do clinicians implement them? And most importantly, do they implement them successfully? If not, why that is? What are the barriers to implementation? How can we improve implementation? But also if something is done successfully, how can we continue capitalizing on it?
0: So some people may think like this is what most research is focused on. However, we know there's this continuum of research. Mm-hmm. And you know, something that, that you know is often cited is that study that says that there's 17 years right. for only 14% mm-hmm. of research to get into practice. So even if research can be implemented into practice, we see that there's this gap and it isn't being implemented into right. practice. Right.
1: Yeah, that's exactly it. And I think uh, in this case, we have to think about context and how that matters and what factors within that context will influence how well we're gonna implement something.
0: That makes good sense. And then also I remember you telling me one time and I really being interested in this study that showed that it's really the connection between the research and the context mm-hmm. that drives whether that research is going to be implemented. So the more that the research takes into account the context up front. The more likely the research will happen in clinical practice,
1: right? And you know, conducting research that takes uh, context into consideration, um, if possible, from the beginning, so we can you know accelerate that
0: translation of research findings. So, based on our work, we see that there are several things to consider when we do this implementation science work. Can you tell us about those? Yes.
1: So, there are several aspects that we have to consider uh, when we do that type of work. Uh, one of them are the factors that influence uptake in uh, clinical or educational settings and whether they act as barriers and facilitators. Uh, in implementation science, we have frameworks called determinant frameworks that allow us to systematically examine factors related to the program itself, uh, the recipients of services, the providers, the clinicians, the inner setting and the outer setting. Um, few examples are a uh, programs quality of evidence and adaptability. Uh, Uh, clinicians' knowledge uh, and how well they apply that knowledge, demographics, uh, local resources, time is a big factor, workload, uh, whether the leadership is engaged in the process, what funding opportunities um, we have, but also what policy is there to support this uh, translation process. Another thing that we have to consider is the process we follow to make implementation happen. This is usually in the literature reflected in phases or stages. We have, for example, exploration and preparation phases where we are exploring a need and preparing at all levels for its implementation. Then we are focusing actively on implementation and we pay attention to what's happening. And we also uh, try to solve problems that may arise And eventually all that is coming together to support multiple iterative cycles um, where we continuously improve our processes because our goal is sustainability. We need to ensure that what we're doing will uh, help our programs to stay in the settings and benefit um, the recipients of those services. During that process of implementation, we have to think about what strategies or techniques we're going to use to promote adoption, implementation, and sustainability. Uh, A few examples of strategies can be assessing for barriers and facilitators to better understand the factors that contribute to implementation, developing an implementation plan, building partnerships, uh, adapting an intervention, um, training and coaching, and uh, centralizing data management systems. And of course, we have to consider outcomes. Implementation science helps us evaluate outcomes related to implementation. For example, whether a program is appropriate, it's feasible, uh, whether it costs a lot. Uh, We have to look at outcomes related to the services we provide. Um, For example, whether they're people-centered and equitable, but of course, outcomes related to the individuals receiving those services, their symptomatology, their function, and whether they are satisfied by those services.
0: Now, this makes good sense and i think even on that research continuum where we think about doing for instance a randomized control trial where we're trying to see if something is uh you know efficacious we can always think about sustainability at the end point mm-hmm. so i had that experience in working in the language and reading research consortium we developed an intervention to stimulate language comprehension in children and we were running a randomized control trial but along that way when we were developing the intervention we were constantly thinking about if this does show efficacy, how could this be implemented quickly and easily within a context? So even though we were doing a randomized control trial uh, to determine the effectiveness of the intervention, we were consistently making small decisions that then would make sure that the intervention matched the context that it was going to be placed in. So as a concrete example, We during this intervention, we were, you know, our vision is that if it was effective, that teachers would be implementing it into their ELA block, Mm -hmm. so their English language block. And so we worked with teachers up front while we were developing it to say, you know, what would, how much time would you be able to give? You know, is this a twenty-minute intervention, a thirty-minute intervention? Does this need to be in a large classroom, a small group? Mm -hmm. All of these decisions were made up made up front with our what are called stakeholders, right? So our stakeholders in that case were. The teachers that were going to be implementing right. this intervention. So we made all these decisions, and then we ran the randomized control trial and we showed effectiveness. And then because we made those decisions up front, we didn't have to do a ton of tweaking after we showed that it was efficacious. We we had a more of a direct match into the context. Right. So that really, uh, you know, having that sustainability in mind right up front. Was I think really critical to making sure that it would be implemented in the context in which it was intended to be implemented?
1: Yeah, you brought up a very beautiful example of uh, you know maximizing contextual fit um, of of our programs, uh, and uh, this should be the model that you know we frame our work because I I think oftentimes in the way that frameworks are laid out, we see sustainability towards the end. And um, this doesn't imply that, you know, we shouldn't focus uh, on sustainability from the beginning because if we don't, then we're gonna r- arrive at a point where it's gonna be difficult to uh, help the program stay and continue benefiting those who receive those services. So um, that was a great example. And that shows that it is important to consider sustainability from the beginning
0: of that process. Yeah, because we all know a uh, great study who read that, that really, um, you know, we look at and think, how's that ever going to be implemented? Right. It doesn't take into account the, you know, frameworks and barriers mm-hmm. and context that it's going to be implemented. Another thing that you mentioned was these strategies. And I think, you know, all of the components you mentioned here are really the heart of the science behind mm-hmm. implementation science. So with those strategies in mind, if you, you know, talk and say, okay, this is the barrier that we have, then we can have some strategies. And these models are so great because, they give you some ideas right. about what those strategies would be. I know for us, we've seen that in implementing our uh, language screener that we had uh you know, we had the sense that the teachers didn't understand fully why to do mm-hmm. it, which could impact then the fidelity uh and uh, follow through and tried to work you know, with the district to determine what worked best. And course, we know that's not the be all end all, but it's just one example yeah. of a strategy, I think, to negate this barrier of yeah. uh, understanding the why of why we're doing something.
1: Yeah. And, and, you know, you bring up a good point about, um, training educators uh, and helping them increase their knowledge and skills, which as you said shouldn't be the only thing that we do, because we do have to have processes where we actively are working on different other elements that may influence. um, Implementation in our case, for example, another thing was to make sure that our data is centralized uh, and uh, people can use the data to inform their instructional approaches their interventions. Um, So um, creating data management systems in large school districts is quite uh, some work and uh, a very important one if we, again, think about sustainability. I
0: think, too, it's, you you know, the partnerships are so important. Mm -hmm. Because when I first started doing research in this area, I really had the eye towards only scientific rigor. So I wanted to make sure that I was, you know, had a research question, answer the hypothesis find out what the answer is. And then I thought I would just publish that. (laughs) And then, you know, practitioners would pick it up and they would adapt it to their context somehow, like they knew how to adapt, you know, I thought, oh, educators, SLPs, um, you know, um, teachers, they would know how to do it best in their context. But what I realized with learning more about implementation science and really pushing into that in my own work, is that you then work up front with those partners instead of just saying, "Well, ah, uh, that's not my area. Mm-hmm. I don't under, I don't know how to do that. I'm just going to leave that to the to or the I don't have the time. I don't have the time. I don't, you know, to do this now. I think you know working with you on implementation science is really the key. It's those partnerships right. up front, listening to those partners to make those decisions that will create sustainability. So you do it right up front. Yep.
1: Yes, and, and I think that's one of the themes of our upcoming uh, conference to uh, you know create those spaces where we could have those uh, partnerships uh, from the beginning. But you are uh, you know bringing up the problem uh, that uh, frames this uh, the need for this work and why do we need implementation science in uh, CSD? And you know thinking of that problem, I think we have to think it as twofold um, that leads to the same overall issue, and that is, implementation remains the biggest challenge in our field. Um, First, you know, you would describe something that we often see where research knowledge doesn't always reach uh, practice. And there are a few reasons of why that is. If, again, if we look at that continuum from um, basic science to scale up and implementation, much of our work lacks uh, those translation and implementation aspects. Um, And, uh, you know, another reason is accessing, you know, I think we still do that. We still run studies, publish our findings, um, write beautiful manuscripts, present in scientific conferences, and somehow we may have this naive perception that um, clinicians will take that information and directly apply it to their context. And But we see that that's not really happening. Um, and, you know, when thinking about access is accessing it, article, for example, if, of course, it's not behind the paywall, and which we know that is quite problematic, even in our own field, but also how well the clinicians are accessing the content uh, in those articles, and whether they see the immediate application uh, to their settings. And even if they do, I think we still need deliberate efforts to bring uh, implementation science into our settings, and to ensure that our, the systems that clinicians are working, are ready to receive a new program
0: or practice and uh, sustain it. It makes good sense. I, I think, you know, we also tend to not realize that researchers have their own language. So mm-hmm. when I'm writing a research article, even if I'm writing it with the, with the intent that it will actually be implemented in practice, I'm still writing to my scientific peers. So there's a lot of jargon right. in the articles. That's the; Those are the reviewers yeah. of yeah. my articles, right? Yeah. So I'm writing to them and somehow it becomes this secret language with full of jargon. And it doesn't make a lot of sense to then expect people who are dealing with their own barriers to then pick up that article and somehow be able to just translate this mm-hmm. code. Even if they've had great training in evidence yeah. based practice, it's really on us to think about how to shake hands better and communicate that. And this podcast is really, a big part of that, because, you know, I could write these articles, even if I did write them to practitioners, let's say I did say, I'm going to write this article for practitioners. Mm -hmm. First off, I'm not a practitioner. So even though I'm writing for practitioners, I don't exactly know what's happening in that that context. That's first. Second- You're making assumptions. I'm going to make a lot of assumptions and I'm speaking for them as opposed to partnering with them. And then I also think that with the podcast, it's been eye-opening. You know, I've written articles that have gotten, you know, a lot, quote unquote, a lot of citations, but I never get feedback. I never really understand. But with the podcast, I have people tell me, oh, I understood that in a different way or access that article. So I think it's really on- us as scientists and also um, really thinking about as practitioners working together. That's a big part of what we wanted to do Mm -hmm. for this conference.
1: Right. And yeah, so varying our methods of dissemination, but also um, working, again, closely with them to uh, apply the findings into practice. Um, Another thing I think we have to think about is that, um, yes, research doesn't reach practice, but also sometimes research doesn't reflect practice. Uh, because uh, it is often created without practice in mind. And you and I have seen this in our own work that context really matters. It doesn't, it's not enough for us to create effective interventions. The real question is whether they will fit into routine settings and benefit those who need them. And if they don't fit, how do we make them fit? Um, where clinicians work, how the systems are operating, what barriers do they face, uh, what facilitators exist, um, what are the characteristics and needs, um, all that will determine how well an evidence-based program will be adopted and maintained over time. Um, I think we've seen this even more um, recently during the pandemic where we had to continue working with um, limited resources uh, in highly constrained settings and in one of our recent publications, we kind of told the story of uh, that type of work uh, where we are partnering with a local school district. And uh, suddenly we had to go from in person intervention to online intervention. Uh, and we had to make some quick decisions so how to pivot to online intervention, how to adapt our materials, and how. Um, to ensure that even within that adaptation process, we are uh, keeping the effectiveness of the program intact and benefiting uh, our uh, students. So we tell that story and it's an example of context mattering in this type of work because uh, again, you have this effective intervention, but if something radically changes in your context, then you really need to think about how you're gonna make uh, that fit happen uh, and continue supporting the needs of your partners.
0: That's right. That's a a great example, I think. Um, And uh, many are doing that in the pandemic. Yes, yes. yes. (laughs) We're we're forced to do that, I think. Exactly. So we've talked a bit about the research continuum. Can you speak more about that research continuum? Yeah. So, um,
1: you know, if we're thinking about research, we have different stages that research goes through, uh, starting from, you know, basic experimental work, going to efficacy and effectiveness studies, and then um, uh, towards the end of that continuum, uh, thinking more about translation and implementation. And, you know, I think we have to closely see where our research falls into that continuum and try to focus more on on those translational and implementation aspects. I'm not saying that, you know, it's not important to have basic work or efficacy and effectiveness studies, but I think we have to also try to have more of both uh, what we call hybrid studies, where we can still evaluate the effectiveness of an intervention, but at the same time, look at the context and um, focus on, uh, you know, what we're going to do, all the processes that we had to set to prepare the context to receive uh, the program, and you know the example from Lark that you uh, just mentioned is is a great example of that because that's what you did. You you had a hybrid uh, study uh, and focusing on both because eventually you want to accelerate that translation uh, piece. But I think uh, in that continuum, we have to consider uh, clinical needs from the beginning, Uh, researchers and clinicians should be able to work together to develop programs uh, that will eventually uh, uh, fit in practice settings and are meaningful to them and the populations they serve. And it is more cost effective. And you uh, you know, recently published a paper with uh, Hugh Katz where you're talking about prevention and um, how much money that saves uh, in comparison to traditional models. And the same concept applies here. If we work together from the beginning where we almost co-design and co-develop programs that will um, be beneficial to them and their uh, uh, populations, uh, we... Um, you know, we can accelerate this translation process and start addressing that research to practice gap.
0: And that makes so much sense. And we just talked about this research practice gap and we often hear this referred to, but we have started to talk about the practice to right. research gap, because yeah. you might be thinking if you're listening to this and you're a practitioner of any sort, you might think, how does that, how do I fit into implementation science? But this research to practice gap puts more weight on the research, mm-hmm. right? So research to practice. But what we're thinking here too is that we need to think about practice to research. And that means that practitioners make their voice heard so that then research can accommodate what's happening in practice and can consider what's important in clinical practice. So practitioners play a valuable, critically important role in implementation science because they're we're thinking about how we can do we can address this practice to research, research to practice right, gap. Right. And it's really more of a secular aspect. So Uh, We don't want to put the burden on clinicians to translate and implement what researchers do. It's really that researchers need to also listen to clinicians to understand what the problems are and what are the barriers and facilitators in a context. So then we can create a research that has the most maximal impact on outcomes. Right.
1: And I think also thinking that the evidence that is coming out from practice looks different than what we have from research, Uh, and um, we have to, you know, take that into consideration and change uh, some of the ways that we do research studies uh, and looking at needs in different settings and populations, because if we don't, Um, then we will continue having large populations remaining undiagnosed, like children with developmental language disorder. And uh, you and others wrote so much about uh, the negative consequences uh, that arise from lack of identification and support, such as limited education, employment opportunities, high risk for mental health problems, high risk for suicide, sexual abuse, and contact with the justice system. And we will also continue perpetuating systemic racism, white-centered practices and inequity, preventing many people from accessing health services and opportunities to um, thrive. I think we see this in our work every day. Many programs we currently use were developed with some groups in mind and left out entire communities, people of color, people from different cultures, people who speak other languages, people who speak other dialects. We see this with the screening work that we do. And uh, this is serious. Because we, at the same time that we're advocating that we're trying to address these problems and we're trying to eliminate them, uh, we are also contributing to them. Uh, And um, we can't really pretend that we're actively addressing those problems if, for example, we are dedicating a couple of lines in our paper saying that future work needs to address the needs of diverse populations. You know, I've done it uh, and I'm also guilty and and I think that's a problem there and we have to recognize that um, and really find more active approaches to to address that gap, uh, but also increase accessibility to services for all people, um, especially those who've been,
0: you know, left out a lot. Absolutely, I'm absolutely guilty of that uh, myself. And it's because I've gone into situations where I say, to a school district, okay, I have a grant and I'm only going to study these children in your district. But I've really been trying to think more with you, uh, Rosanna, thinking about how do we address all children in the district? How can we deal with that, you know, what we often think of as the messiness of real life. Right. But implementation science allows you to have the tools to deal with that because that's real life. That's what we need to be focusing on. In the meantime, without these meaningful changes, then in our research and in the practice research gap that we're focusing on, the clinicians are just continuing to face these serious obstacles in their work. And you know, we are you know discussing barriers and we see these barriers, but if we don't address them, we're just gonna see that downward spiral of job dissatisfaction, mm-hmm. burnout, and it's just a constant disconnect. Right. And then and also a feeling of insecurity and frankly shame when educators are told, you're not reading the research, you don't know, what's in it, what's going on with you, yeah. when really we have to work together as a team. Yeah, uh,
1: I think your last point is so important because it kind of takes us to what we need to do uh, to start addressing uh, these problems and really work together to eliminate that research to practice gap. And it's, it's about blaming. We really need to stop uh, uh, the blame. We need to stop saying clinicians don't do this, they don't do that, uh, they don't apply this uh, successfully. And we have to understand that it's not just on clinicians; it's it's all all of us um, how we're going to address this research to practice gap. And also consider that they, do, as you said, they don't have the capacity in many cases to to take our research findings and apply them in their practice because of so all those constraints they face. So it has to be a collective effort. Um, and you know, I, I think something that we're gonna try to do in this conference is also show that clinicians actually do a lot that fits the definition of implementation science. They assess their context, they seek evidence-based practices, they adapt, they evaluate, and we have to also take advantage of that, um, strengthen those processes with more systematic approaches to allow also clinical practice to inform research, going back to that practice, to a uh, research pathway that we're, we want to establish. <laughs>
0: You know, practitioners are the ultimate implementation scientists. They
1: are. They, they truly are. And I think they just, you know, they, we need to recognize that and empower them to do that. Um, Something else I think we have to think, you know, within that uh, system perspective is how we can align our systems uh, to support access to services for people with communication disorders, because that's what implementation science helps us think about, about the context, about the larger systems that come together to determine, um, you know, implementation of services and access to those services. And in, in line with that, I think we have to look at communication problems as a public health issue. And... Take advantage of existing knowledge around public health and tools um, in implementation science that can help us to evaluate context
0: and coordinate multiple systems. Well, this brings us to think about the conference. You know, why did we put together the conference? And you know, our field in speech language pathology, also communica- referred to as communication sciences and disorders. We have really been focusing on implementation science for some time. So there was an initial conference in 2014 put on by the Ash Foundation. We've had many uh, people in the field who've been thinking about this for some time. We had special issues. Special issues in in journals. Um, We've had... Asha Foundation has had research grants Mm -hmm. focused on clinician researcher partnerships. There's been training opportunities that have been funded through Asha and Asha Foundation on implementation science. So there is a movement just in general, um, you know, also to help clinicians to see themselves as implementation science or clinician scientists in programs and within Asha. Uh, You know, with this conference, what makes it unique is upfront we decided we would have a focus solely on speech language pathology, Mm -hmm. communication sciences and disorders, so all of the speakers have experience in communication sciences and disorders. And so that's what makes this conference unique. Also, it's unique in the sense that we wanted to focus on pairing clinicians and scientists together, and being in the same space so we can talk about the same clinical problems how we're dealing with them together. And then um, you um, with your partner, uh, Carla, have been working on, you know, uh, really thinking about how to actively engage in a Mm -hmm. conference online. We've all been doing Zoom online for a long time, so it's uh, it can get so tedious. And so we wanted to make sure this was something that participants walked away and had, you know, had the notes that said, okay, I can take this and apply this to my own clinical problem. So there's activities throughout the two days that really address these. And the speakers themselves uh, you know, are really selected to showcase, uh, first first our speakers focus on equity, really which is at the center of implementation science because it addresses all people that need services. And then we have um, some of the major change makers in our field who have been doing implementation science for some time, have been writing about it. They're gonna talk about the history and their own experience with implementation science. We also then have um, someone who's really been thinking a lot about implementation science in our own area and how to learn more about implementation science. Uh, We have a focus on resources. Uh, We also have a discussion about the frameworks that can be used in your work. And we have a discussion about social media and how to translate in a a more valuable way, the research that's being done. And clinicians also really speaking uh, through social media to not only other clinicians, but scientists that are listening to what's going on there. And then we have a few uh, opportunities to showcase some of the work that's happening, uh, in particular here at MGH and our surrounding community, to say this is how we've applied it. We also have, I think we have, you know, it's over 40 short talks that are going to be given from those around the world who are focusing on implementation (laughs) science. Yeah, so we have some of those what we call lightning talks that are 10 minutes long. So it is exciting to think about you know, a, a way to bring together and educate so many people that are interested in implementation science. And I think another part of it is that we want to bring together a community because mm-hmm. uh, we have some things in the works to get people together after the conference as well, to just keep the momentum going. Uh, we, you know, that forward momentum is something we absolutely need. As you said, it's, it's really important.
1: Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, I think, um, in addition to this uh, type of opportunities like conferences and opportunities to get together, especially with clinicians and and listen to them and hear their stories, um, I think we also need more um, training opportunities, more education opportunities. I see it in my own work as an early career investigator, but I also see it as a lecturer with my students uh, in the the master SLP program. Um, There is a need to bring that content uh, into our uh, clinical doctoral training, uh, and you know any other opportunities after that to uh, to strengthen our knowledge and, and skill development. Um... As an early career investigator, uh, I think we also uh, need to think about funding opportunities because that's that's something that I'm currently struggling with right now. Um, I think there's this perception that only established researchers like yourself can do <laughs> this type of work. Uh, and it seems that funding systems reflect that, um, which you know, on one end, I definitely understand why that is happening, but also if we keep discussing and trying to take actions about doing this type of work and um, addressing the research to practice gap, yeah, we definitely need to think about more funding opportunities for uh, early investigators like myself uh, to, to explore that work again and bring it into schools and to
0: hospitals. Yes. I mean, I think, you know, you coming in and having interest in implementation science and really uh, helping me make some tweaks to the work I've been doing, which was always focused on sustainability, but really pushing into the frameworks mm-hmm. and, and folks, Focusing on uh, the science aspect too of measuring fidelity and outcomes in a way that documents the this context of barriers and facilitators, it's been hugely important to the work that's been done, and I think it's something that's made me realize that it, you really don't have to wait. You can jump into this at any point in your career, at any point in your practice. You could jump into implementation implementation science with actually a few tweaks. These are important tweaks, but um, it's really a way of thinking, you know, about your work and your research and your practice.
1: I think it's important that you say that. Um it's good as an early career investigator for me to hear something like that coming from you as an expert and a leader in the field. And I don't, you know, I've been lucky to, to be here to work with you and you've really established processes and allow me to innovate. But uh, I think that that's not the case uh, for, uh, you know for many others in, my, uh, in a similar position. So it's good to hear, uh, to hear that we, we can innovate and we can get into implementation science and,
0: and do this type of work. I'm just really excited about this conference. I just want to say to our listeners that I look forward to meeting you all, spending two days discussing and brainstorming on what Rosanna and I just love, which is working with clinicians to make sure the research is put into practice. Um you know, um, I often say that it takes a village to do anything, and it really does take a village to do implementation science. And I really am hopeful that this conference will be our village. So thank you for taking time to listen. Thank you for coming on, Rosanna, and talking about implementation science.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm also excited and I look forward to seeing
0: you all uh, in our conference. Check out www.seehearspeakpodcast.com for helpful resources associated with this podcast, including, for example, the podcast transcript, research articles, and speaker bios. You can also sign up for email alerts on the website or subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or any other listening platform so you can be the first to hear about new episodes. Thank you for listening and good luck to you, making the world a better place by helping one child at a time. Okay, ready? Yes, you're ready. Okay. Uh so we lock, let's lock the door just in case. I always worry someone's gonna bust in.